Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, yes and amen. I'm excited to be with you this morning, Westside. And can I just tell you, um, seeing that many people for connection class and then last Sunday in one of the rooms back there, there was like 30 plus kids in kids' side. Um, when, when I got here in August, about seven years ago, there were 25 votes cast for me to be pastor in totality in the whole church. And we had more kids in kids' side last Sunday than there were people that voted for me to come pastor um, this church. And can we just thank God for all that he's doing in and through uh, the life of this church and these people. And it's something that I just don't want us to take for granted. And, and the reason why um, I believe the cause of all of this is what we're going to find in Acts 2. And so we're jumping in today. We've got some verses to cover. And this is actually um, a part two of a two-part message. But, but before we do that... Um, we actually have a, a podcast that we release on Wednesdays entitled The Rest of the Sermon. And what this podcast is, is it allows us to dive into um, aspects of the sermon that maybe there wasn't time for or some different facets and stuff like that. The reason why I bring this up is because inevitably there is going to be questions as we're going through the book of Acts, maybe about a particular passage that you would like more insight on. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Send us an email at info at westsidepb.org and what we will be able to do is to answer that question via the podcast and allow you to tune in on that because these verses are so jam-packed today that I can't get to everything, but we are going to get to the main thing. And last week we looked at this idea that moments make movements. 
And, and we looked at the great movements of history, and we said that you can always trace it back to a moment that was so defining that caused that little moment to then become a movement, whether it be the signing of the Declaration of Independence or the Civil Rights. And we said that Pentecost... In Acts chapter 2, by far, is the moment that turned Christianity into the global movement that we know today. That even after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there were just simply 120 followers. And then we looked at this graph that was by the sociologist Rodney Stark. In just 300 years... Literally, Christianity went from being an unknown religion to just 120 followers to literally 30 million people and then being the majority of the Roman population. And we asked, what was the cause of that? Um, there's another quote by the guy by the name of Kenneth Scott uh, Latteray, and he's a professor at Yale. He said these words, the more one examines the various factors which seem to account for the extraordinary victory of Christianity, the more one is driven to search for a cause underlying them all. It is clear that at the very beginning of Christianity, there must have occurred a vast release of energy, virtually unacquitted in history. Nothing else could explain the surge of the early Christian movement. What caused this release of energy lies outside the realm in which modern historians are supposed to move. But then he goes on to say these words. But before I am a historian, I am a human. How can I am a human... But how can I close my eyes to the obvious explanation that something supernatural has happened? Now listen, why do I lay these things like a professor at Yale before you talking about these things? Listen, because I constantly want to lay before you and want to lay before your children that the book that you hold in your hand is not a fairy tale. That these things have been attested. That, listen, Christianity has satisfied some of the most intelligent minds in history. Christianity has never been tried and found lacking. It has been tried and found difficult, therefore not tried again. But there is no doubt that Christianity is a supernatural way of life. And our big idea last week was this, that the Holy Spirit is the source of the Christian life. That is what we see in Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit is the source of the Christian life. And so this week, as we dive into part two of this, when we think about the idea that every um, movement has a moment, one thing that you can look at is, is that every movement has a message, whether it be the civil rights movement, this, that, or the other. One of the things that I love is, is that I'm a fan of rhetoric, somebody speaking, whether it be a speech or anything like that, because I believe this, no matter how technologically advanced the human society is, no matter what technology is being introduced, it still requires a human being to stand up, open their mouth, and speak 
Whether it be John F. Kennedy talking about, you know, it is our mission and goal to send a man to the moon and bring him back. Like, it doesn't matter. Even if it's Steve Jobs when he pulled out the MacBook Pro out of the manila envelope and everybody gasped, it still requires a single human being to stand up, to open their mouth, and to say something. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is just that. We see Peter standing up, filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaim something. But then after Peter proclaims something, something happens. Those verses talking about the first church, which is actually the vision of Westside. That's where we get gospel, community, and mission from. And so the big idea is simply this, continuing with the thought of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers believers to proclaim and practice the gospel. Listen, there is no other way that we can proclaim this message of this movement of Christianity. Christianity has a message And it is called the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but the world's filled with a lot of bad news. Amen? And we need a lot of good news. But it is the Holy Spirit that empowers us to proclaim that. But not just to proclaim it, but also to practice this good news as well. So listen, we're just going to dive in. Are you ready? Are you ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Here we go. The first thing is this. The Holy Spirit empowers us. To proclaim the gospel. Um, If you look in verse 14, I'm not going to be able to read all of Peter's sermon. But what I want to do is this. I want to walk through and highlight how the Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim the gospel. That listen, each and every one of us in this room have a responsibility to carry on this message. And that everybody in this room has a co-worker or a family member who needs to hear this message. But always and inevitably, the question that I get asked back is, how can I know how to do that? I don't want to do it wrong. I'm going to say something wrong. And it's all, listen, so I'm going to highlight what Peter does here and to show us how the Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim this message. And the first thing is this. It's real obvious. Um, Open your mouth. Right? I mean, look at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, here it is, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Um, very interesting. That phrase, lifted up his voice, is apothegophma for the two of you that care. And it's only used um, three times in the entire New Testament. And it's always used in the book of Acts. And literally what this phrase means is to declare, to stand and to declare and to say boldly a certain message. And the reason why I bring that up and to say that, and I say this all the time, is that there's sort of like a little bit of pushback when it comes to sharing the message. That, that some people say, you know, man, we don't need to just preach at people, man. We just need to love people, and we need to just do And listen, I'm all for, like, not just hellfire and brimstone to someone and to love them. Yes, all of that stuff. Yes, 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 and amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jason believes that we should love people. Jason believes that we should love people. Yes, yes, yes. But 
there's like this little phrase that floats around and it gets shared every once in a while on Facebook. And when I see it, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit in me not to comment and get in a Facebook argument or something. And it's always a phrase that's attributed to an early church father and he never said it, but it's um, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Okay? Now listen, I get the sentiment. What it means is live in such a way that your life is... like I get all of that, yes and amen. But please listen to me. Just as the God of the universe in Genesis chapter 1 spoke and there was nothing and then there was something, the Bible also teaches us in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. And just like when God spoke and there was creation, we believe as Christians that when we speak the gospel or the good news that somebody can have salvation created in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. That listen, for some of us, the challenge is that we have to open our mouth. And some of you are there. But the second thing is this. It's not just open our mouth. What are we saying, Jason? What are we saying? Well, the second thing is this. Um, we need to use the Scriptures. Because look at what Peter does in verse 16. Um, I, you know, I love this. He addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk. So, like, people didn't know what was going on. They were like, we're hearing different languages. I'm hearing people speak in my native tongue. What is going on? So then they thought, oh, these people, they're drunk, right? Um, and Peter stands up and is like, no, 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 no. We haven't been drinking mimosas or anything. It's the third hour, which is 9 o'clock. And then verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then Peter quotes Scripture. Listen, here's what's so important. This is what we believe. This is what's even happening right now. Is that here at Westside, we really love God's Word. And so on a Sunday morning, the Word of God governs our worship to God. And what we do is we crack open this book and we say, Thus saith the Lord. Do you know what Peter does not do? Peter does not say, Hey, people of Judea and Jerusalem, please listen to me. I feel like... Or um, I would just like to share a few things. No, no, no. He says, God has said this through His Word. Listen, we believe that God has spoken and that He has spoken through His Word. And so what is happening here in these verses is that Peter, empowered by the Spirit of God, is proclaiming the Word of God. And listen, the Word of God is where the power is at. If we're going to proclaim the gospel, the power is not in your clever argument, not in your stories, not in what your grandpa or granddaddy always used to say. Love your granddaddy, love your grandma, gaga, moo moo, bb, whatever you call them. Love those people, okay? But the power is in the Word of God. Um, one of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? 
Listen, I have seen and we have seen in this church unbelievers come in and worship with us week after week after week, and it is the Word of God that bears down on their heart and on their mind that brings them from death to life. But I need to do something here, and I need to be pastoral in this moment because what we are saying is kind of crazy. Think about what I'm saying. I'm saying that God, the creator of the universe, like speaks through people. That's what I'm saying. Some of us are like, listen, bro, that's weird, okay? That's, and then you guys are like, we're going to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Like, is this a cult? Like, what is going on here, okay? Well, first and foremost, yes, we do believe that God has spoken through his word and that God does speak through people. But I think this chart will be helpful for us to guide us through the book of Acts as to how God speaks, the method, um, and then how common is this that we see through Scripture and what should be the application of this, okay? I want to be very pastoral in this moment. So when it comes from a word of God itself, from the word, you've got chapter and verse. You're like Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Um, that's going to be batting a thousand, okay? You can guarantee, as he says, that that is a word from God. And listen, you don't need to test that. You just obey that, okay? So when it comes to forgiveness, and how many times should I forgive, and should I forgive this person, um, the answer, yes. And we don't need to do the Christianese thing of, well, you know, I just, just want to pray about it a little bit. Eh, wrong answer, okay? God has spoken. Or um, how about this? God speaks uh, from the word through a person. So somebody comes to you, maybe in community group or Westside men or Westside women or something, and they're like, hey, listen, I was reading my Bible this morning, and I came across 1 John such and such, and I really felt like the Lord brought you to my heart and to my mind, and I want to share this with you. Um, that's a very powerful thing. A very powerful thing. That's something that um, is not going to happen every single day that you pray for somebody. And when it comes to, hey, what should we do with this? I think you should be humble. I think you should check the word of God. But I also think that you should receive that as well. Amen? For somebody to go, hey, listen, I was praying for you. I was reading through the word of God. And I believe that God has this particular word from his word for you in this season of life. But God also speaks in very miraculous ways. And we're going to see this through the book of Acts. So what do we do with that? Well, how about um, this is just a word from a person. A person just says, hey, I'm a believer, I was praying with you. This is somebody who's close in your community. And, and I really felt like the Lord told me um, to tell you blank. Now, some of us grew up in traditions where that was so common that like at one point you ask the question like, well, gosh, why doesn't God just tell me? Because he seems to be telling you all this kind of stuff, okay? Some of us grow up in traditions where we were like, whoa, that's like witchcraft and wizardry, bro. I don't even know anything. What am I supposed to do with that, okay? Well, um, I don't think that's going to be super common, and I think what you need to do is, is you need to check God's word, you need to check with other leaders, and you need to be careful about that. But listen, we want to be rooted in God's word, but we want to be renegades in the spirit. Amen? 
And then um, how about just from the Holy Spirit directly to your spirit? I believe that that can happen. Absolutely, we see that in the scriptures. But that's also something that we want to be very careful to check God's word, to check with other believers. And then also miraculously in a dream, we see that in the scriptures as well. But I would also be very cautious with some of those things. So listen, I say all of that to be be very pastoral and to address what we do see is the Holy Spirit empowering a believer to proclaim the gospel. How do we do that? We open up our mouth, we use the scriptures, and then the third thing that I see is this. You got to get to Jesus. You got to get to Jesus like really fast. Look at verse 22. Do you have your Bible? Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. This is so great. Jesus. He calls their attention. Men of Israel, everybody gather around. Everybody listen. This is the movement known as Christianity. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Peter in his sermon references Jesus about 10 times in the message. Guys, that is our message. And please listen to me. Our message is not affiliated with any sort of political party. Our message is not confined to one single nation. Our message and our message only in Christianity is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is our message. That's all that we have. Because the only hope of humanity is Jesus. But then look at what what Peter says about Jesus. Drop down and look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. I mean, when you look at Peter's message, it's not very seeker-sensitive. Peter's not really concerned like about their feelings or their emotions. And notice what he says, that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Please listen. When we proclaim the gospel, um, there's sort of this catchy phrase that says, you need to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Um, Newsflash. Jesus is Lord and Savior. You don't make him anything. He is. What you do is you submit to that rule and that reign. So listen, when it comes to proclaiming the gospel with our loved ones, with our families and friends, we have to open our mouth. We have to use the scriptures. We have to get to Jesus. That's our only message. And then the last thing that I see is this, is you have to lead it to a response, to a decision. We don't just say these things and then, you know, just sort of be well, kumbaya, talk to you later. Because look at the response. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, brothers, what shall we do? Isn't that incredible? They literally interrupt his sermon and go, whoa, 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 whoa. If that's true, if that message is true, what are we supposed to do about this? Which tells me this, there is no way, there is no way that you can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be indifferent. There's no such thing. Indecision is still a decision not to. And when it comes to proclaiming the gospel, it is led to a decision to an individual. Because Peter says, whom you have crucified. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. Salvation is not an invitation from a nice guy. Salvation is a summons 
from a king, the king of the cosmos. And what the question is, is this. Will you bow the knee or will you continue in rebellion and opposition to that king? The Spirit of God empowers believers to proclaim the gospel. These are very helpful points for us. But then there's this. It does something, and it's the second point, which it helps us to then practice the gospel. This is so significant that just as creation was created through the very word of God, so the church of Jesus Christ was created through a sermon, through Peter preaching. And then there is a response. And 3,000 people get baptized. And then, in verses 42 through 47, we see this little window into the church. Now, um, do you remember this guy, um, Sir Isaac Newton? You guys remember him from school? Uh, you know, Newton's law of physics. Um, by the way, they probably didn't teach you this in school. Um, Sir Isaac Newton was a devout Christian. Just going to throw that out there, okay? So the next time that gets brought up in school, you also need to bring that up as well and tell them your pastor told you to do that, okay? All right? Um, but do you remember what um, Newton's third law was, right? Some of you are like, uh, no, I don't, okay? Um, for every um, action, there is an equal or opposite reaction, that when something is set in motion, there are also other forces that act either in opposition or with that motion. I say that to say this. That is what happens when the gospel is proclaimed. That there is an action that results from that. So what does it look like to practice the gospel? The first thing is this. Um, you repent from sin. You repent. Look at what Peter's answer is. Brothers... What shall we do? Ready? Verse 38. And Peter said to them, what you need to do is join a church. Oh, doesn't say that. Maybe that's a different translation. Verse 38. And Peter said, vote Republican. Oh, that's not... Okay, I'll go over here to this side and make other people angry. And Peter said to them, vote Democrat. And, and Peter said to them, vote... And Peter said to them, repent. One message. Jesus Christ is Lord of the cosmos. Will you repent? And Miss Nikki said, what, what is repentance? Repentance is a change of direction. It is, I was going this way in my life, and now I've heard that Jesus Christ has beat sin, death, and hell, and the grave, and now that if I submit my life unto Him, that I am promised that eternal life. I was going this way, but now I'm changing my mind, and I am now 180 going back this way. There is one message in the Old Testament. If I was to summarize every sermon in the Old Testament and the New Testament on Twitter, it would be with one word, repent. That is the message that we have. But listen, repentance is so much more, okay? A lot of us grew up in this area with repentance being that crisis moment. That you got that sin. And listen, I'm thankful for the guys that loved you enough to tell you that the stuff that you're playing with and that sin that is in your life is deadly. We proclaim that message here. I am thankful for that. But please listen to me. Repentance is way more way more than just feeling bad about your sin. 
We need to move when it comes to repentance from feeling bad about our sin to receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's what produces a changed life. So how do we practice the gospel? We repent from sin. The second thing is this. Then we express faith through baptism. Look look at the response, verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you ready for this? You ready? I know, I know there's so many questions right now. You're like, ooh, Acts 238, that's a debated passage, man. We got this group over here who's like, your baptism didn't count unless it's in Jesus' name. And then these people are like, well, did you receive the Spirit when you got the baptism? And then, and then there's these people over here that are like, well, do you have to be baptized like in order to be saved? And like, when do you actually receive the Spirit, Pastor Jason? And what's the evidence of that and all this? And, and this week... Um, I set out and I was studying and I mean I had I had this argument and I just read pages and pages and I was like, ooh, I am ready for Acts 238 this Sunday. And the Lord just stopped me in the tracks. Because you see, there's so many questions that we have. But the Lord just dropped this message in my mailbox. Why are you asking? Well, 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 do I have to be baptized like to be saved? Or or do I Why are you asking? Because they didn't ask. They just did it. They just did it. And my heart breaks because I found my heart there this week that how easy it is for us to use theological debate as an excuse or distraction to biblical obedience. You see, the whole goal The whole goal is just to simply obey. So so my question for you is this. Have you done that? Have you done that? And and the good news is is, is we have a baptism class that's coming up. We'll go into great detail as to what the word, all of these things. But listen, I'm just asking you this. Have you repented of your sin? And have you expressed faith in Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism? And if not, we've got a sign-up sheet out there. We would love for you to participate in that. Do you know why? Because the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized follower of Jesus Christ. There's not a single person. And I know what you Bible nerds are saying. <laughs> what about the thief on the cross? Got you. Hey, <laughs> got you, preacher. He wasn't baptized. And my response is this. When you're crucified next to Jesus, I won't preach on you getting baptized. Okay? <laughs> We good? Everybody good with that? All right? Listen, the simple response is just to submit and obey. Um, The third thing that I see is this, to live your life in community with other believers. Um, I I could go on and on about verses 42 through 47. It's the vision of our church. I mean, look at this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I need to jump up to verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Look up here and don't miss this. God saves people. God saves people. Jonah chapter 1, salvation is of the Lord. And if you think that your response is, I'm a Christian 
because that one time I repeated all those words that that guy said and I raised my hand, I would say, I would not see that anywhere in Scripture as a claim to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that there was a moment where there was someone preaching the gospel and they said, if you need help in your repentance of sin and you don't know what to say in this moment, you can repeat this prayer, that's great. But what I see... I see as people cut to the heart through the power of the Holy Spirit, expressing faith in Jesus through baptism, and then God is saving people. It's miraculous. And so if your answer is that you are a Christian other than any other thing of the supernatural working of the Holy Spirit, it is a wrong answer. It is a miracle unto God. And then through that, we live our lives with other people. Now... One of the things that we need to do is when you look at verses 42 through 47, you almost see like a perfect church. You're like, this thing is incredible. They're like selling possessions. They're like, do you need this? Do you? And it looks perfect. Um, well, just really quick. Two pages later, um, people die during the offering because they're stealing. So this is like a glimpse it's like your family photos on vacation. There's the one that you post on Facebook, and then there's the 3,700 other ones on your phone that nobody's looking and everybody's fighting with each other, okay? This is that little glimpse. But do you know what struck me this week? What struck me about this passage is how many times the fellowship, verse 42... Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 46, and day by day attending the temple together, um, all the people, their number. There is a level of togetherness. That word fellowship in verse 42 is the Greek word koinonia. And it means such a deep intimacy with one another. So I thought, if, if that's the result if that's the result of the proclamation of the gospel, then, then what's, what are the enemies of community? Why, why don't we see this type of community in our everyday lives or in our lives as believers? And listen, I just want to run through a couple of these things. And I believe, like, like I did, you'll find yourself here just like I found myself here this week as well. Um, the first one is this. Enemies of biblical community are this. The first one is self-sufficiency. People aren't a part of a community of believers because self-sufficiency says, I don't need other people. Why do I need to be a part of that? I don't need to do that. I don't need these people in my life. Listen, that's the exact opposite of what I see in the scriptures. The second thing is this, um, self-protection. Self-protection says this, whoa, you want me to live life with other people? Um, I, I can't trust people. I've, I've been hurt before. And listen, I would tell you this. You'll get hurt here. You know why? Because you know what the church is, right? All the church is is a bunch of sinners in close proximity to one another. And so when we get hurt, here's the difference. We don't bail. That's the distinct factor. So if you're saying that I'm trying to protect myself and not get hurt, what you'll find is actually your heart become more distant 
and more cold as you're trying to protect it. The third thing is this. How about self-righteousness? Self-righteousness says I'm better than other people. I'm not going to be a part of that. You know those hypocrites and people over there. I ain't going to join it. You, anytime I hear like, man, I'm not going to a church or joining a church. Church is just filled with a bunch of hypocrites. Do you know what I say? Yep, and we got room. So come on, buddy. Come on. Because, I mean, let's be honest. Do you live up to the standards that you hold other people to? Right. And then the last thing is this. Self-serving. See, this is the opposite. Self-serving says, I need other people. I've got to be a part of a community because I've got to hear those people tell me good job. And then, and then they're going to need me. And then they're going to need help. And then I can give them. And then they can receive. And inevitably, the very thing that you want, you end up smothering. And so when we look at this idea of all of this, I want to close with this statement. The Spirit-filled vision of Acts 2 will only work corporately as it's applied individually. That's what I see. I see the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I see it practiced in community with those other believers. But that happened individually before that ever happened corporately. So listen, I want these application questions to rest on our heart and mind today. The first one is this. What if the majority of Westside served as much as I do? Where would we be? Or how about the second one? What if the majority of Westside gave as much as I do? Where would we be? Or the last one. What if the majority of Westside prayed as much as I do? Where would we be? You see, I think we come in with the assumption that somebody else or this is or that. But when I look in Acts 2, I see that they were cut to the heart as individuals. And then they gave themselves to the whole. So the very Spirit of God is what empowers believers to proclaim the Gospel and practice the Gospel. And listen to these words. It's our only hope. It's on, our only hope is that the Spirit of God can do this in our midst. Listen to these words. There is no need for us to wait as those 120 had to wait on that day of Pentecost for the Spirit to come. For the Holy Spirit did come on the day of Pentecost and it has never left the church. Our responsibility is to humble ourselves before the sovereign authority of God to determine not to quench the Spirit, but to allow Him His freedom. For then will again manifest those marks of the Spirit's presence in churches. In churches which many young people are especially looking for. Namely, biblical teaching, loving fellowship, living worship, and an ongoing, outgoing evangelism and proclamation of the gospel. Westside, listen, what would it look like? What would it look like if we as individuals gave ourselves to this and then gave ourselves to it corporately? I believe that a small band of misfits in Butler County loving each other and clinging to the Bible and empowered by the Spirit could change the world. I believe it. The question is, do you?
Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today so grateful for your word. God, as we think about these questions, that this has to happen on an individual level before it ever happens at a corporate level, God. I was so convicted this week that what if my prayer life was the standard of Westside's prayer life? Oh, God, help us. Thank you for the sweet conviction because that conviction then leads to change. Not guilt, not shame, but action. If that's what we feel now, we feel the very Spirit of God moving in our hearts and minds. God, save us from the self-protection, the self-serving, all of those things. And teach us self-sacrifice. God, I pray as I've prayed seven years ago that Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, that you would do it here. God, do it here. Do it now. Have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Westside, would you stand?